Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanless Podcast, coming at you from the evening of the women's semi-finals and what semi-finals they were. It is a pleasure to be joined by the I tennis journalist James Gray. Uh, James, thank you very much for coming back on. No, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, so yeah, as I say, we're going to uh, review the women's semi-finals from today and then look ahead to Saturday's final. Um, very much focused on the women's side of things today, as our last podcast was a bit more centred around the men's. Um, so we'll just start with, uh, we'll go through it in chronological order. Um, we saw the world number one, Ash Barty, uh, knock out the 2018 champion, Angelique Kerber. Uh, 6376 um, it was a fantastic performance from Ash Barty, who uh, trailed in the second set uh, and had to get it back um, to force the tie break, which she won very convincingly, uh, 7 3 in the end, off to me, 6 love up. Um, before this t- tournament, uh, we hadn't actually seen Ash Barty even in a quarterfinal at Wimbledon, despite being uh, world number one. Um, I don't think it comes as any great surprise, though, that we're seeing Ash Barty in this sort of form. What did you think, James? No, exactly. She's world number one. And I think she's the WTA rankings are not something we should necessarily get too obsessed by because they've been frozen for so long. But she's kind of I reckon she's the, the, the worst known world number one of any major sport because she's only won one Grand Slam and she spent the whole of the, the 2020 back home in Australia just basically opting out of the tour. And that's completely within within her rights, of course. So, yeah, I, I think people really do underrate her. But she's such a multi-talented player. You know, I was on court for this, this match against Kerber. And, and I actually, I had picked Kerber to win it because I think she's been playing really well. She won that title in Bad Homburg. And I also thought, you know, Barty's looked quite nervy at times in the last couple of matches. This is, as you mentioned, kind of un, uncut ground for her. And I just thought, but Kerber, being here before, looks pretty unflappable. And to be honest, it was the complete other way around. Like, like Kerber was so tight in the first set. She wasn't hitting the ball cleanly. Barty was basically pretty untroubled by her in the first set. And then, you know, she got into her stride. And I turned around to um, one of my colleagues in the press box and I said, you know, she was a breakup in the second set. I said, what's changed? What's really changed? And he kind of shrugged and went, well, it's pretty close, but she's just hitting it harder. And that seems like a silly thing to say, but she was just starting to strike the ball better about midway through the second set. And then she just threw in this horrendous service game, at, you know, serving at 5-3. She'd, she'd had set points on Barty's serve. She hasn't converted them. And then and then she throws in this, this horrible service game. Uh, I think it was at 5 or 5-4, I suppose it must have been. She missed two of her first serves. She missed a couple of backhands and all of a sudden is back on serve. And, you know, Barty doesn't need many invitations. So I was actually a bit frustrated because, I mean, that's not to say it wasn't great to watch. It was a really good match. And, you know, Barty played well and Kerber had great periods as well. But Barty just played the big moments so much better. And I, th- I thought that Kerber kind of let herself down in those moments. Yeah, that's definitely um, an interesting take. I think uh, Kerber would definitely be feeling a little bit gutted after the match uh, to, to lose that second set, especially uh, when in that position she actually lost uh, eight straight points 
uh, in a row for it to become uh, back to, to five all mm. um, after it went from Kerber serving for that set and obviously to take it into deciding set and obviously doesn't mean so much, but you'd, you'd always maybe lean towards the player who wins the second set a little bit more in a third set with the momentum swing. So I think definitely a, a missed opportunity there for Kerber, but I was so impressed with Ash Barty. Um, you know, five foot five, I think she is. Um, and, you know, you, you think that uh, height in tennis, you know, is a big advantage. Uh, she served eight aces uh, compared to five foot eight. Angelique Kerber's zero aces. Mm. Um, you know, first serve points one, I've got here 88% from Barty. That's uh, so fantastic. Really, really good. And uh, almost on a par with uh, the second semi final, which we'll talk about in a bit, which was a real, real big serving contest between uh, Pliskova and, and Sabalenka. Um, just looking at this match a little bit more, though. Um, for Angelique Kerber, um, she's the 25th seed now in the rankings. I know, of course, you say uh, not to focus on the rankings too much, but um, I think it's from memory, it feels like it's the first time we've seen her at this stage for a little while. Um, did, did you think that perhaps at 33, um, with players like Barty, Sabalenka, uh, Goff, a uh, host of other young names coming up, uh, do you think this is one of the maybe last chances Kerber will get to, to make a Grand Slam final? Yeah, it felt a little bit like that, didn't it? Because there's so many players in the, the women's game at the moment we think are going to be really big stars. But she, she's kind of come from nowhere. You know, you kind of ignore the clay court season with Angie Kerber because she's never been a great clay courter. For some reason, it just doesn't seem to suit her game, which is kind of weird because, you know, she doesn't have much of a first serve. She doesn't have a big serve. And she's a proper getter. And so traditionally, you'd think, well, great clay court player, but, you know, she's lost so many easy matches on clay. So, yeah, I guess a little bit surprising to see her at this stage. I don't, I don't know, because you've got at the moment this women's game full of talent, but not full of bottle. And, and actually, what, that is what Kerber lacked a little bit of today. I think she actually did bottle it a little bit. And I, I don't like saying that too much, but, you know, she, she did play poorly in the big moments. But I think that will happen again. It's just that this, this burst of form was so out of the blue. I think if she can keep it together, you know, she's a former US Open champion. She's probably, well, I asked her earlier today about the Olympics and she kind of said, I don't know. And she's been selected, I believe, but I don't think she's guaranteed to go. And now that they've said there'll be no fans at the Olympics, she may not. And I think anyone that goes to the Olympics is going to have a disadvantage at the US Open uh, just because of the bubbling and the timings and everything. So... Um, I think she might skip that and, and have a crack at the US. And the US is anybody's, frankly. I don't know if Naomi Osaka will be there. We don't know if Simona Halep will be there, although she probably wouldn't be regarded much of a threat there. Shontek probably be a huge threat. But nevertheless, I, I just think Kerber's kind of got a way of getting through draws at the moment. She got to the fourth round of the US last year and you know looked okay, made her way through a few matches. So I don't think it's her last chance. I thought it was a really big chance, but credit to Barty. I mean, her slice backhand is is something else at the moment. She is so deep, it's so potent, it's very difficult to play against. And you know, Kerber's a skillful player. She picked the ball up off the baseline pretty well, and Barty still found a way through her. So, yeah. And you mentioned the serve, by the way. There are a couple of moments, and you know, in the press box on centre court, you're really not supposed to say anything. Or, or you're certainly not allowed to clap or anything like that. 
Um, I have actively, I've seen someone actively told off for applauding in the press box. Um, and there were three occasions when Barty on break point missed her first serve and then hit a big second serve out wide and hit the line into the curve beforehand. And it was, she won the point every time. And it's A, so gutsy and B, so well executed. She's only we, as you say, and it, it's such a good serve that she hits out wide, usually into the right hander's backhand into Kerber's forehand. And it's a brilliant serve that she hits and she's clearly got supreme confidence in it. You know, Ash Barty's probably the most underrated superstar in the world. And I hope people start to recognise what a sort of player that she is. Yeah, and of course, only 25. Uh, so still got you know a long way to go. Of course, she's yeah. only won one Grand Slam title to date, but you know you certainly feel there's more to come. Perhaps even on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think when we talk about brilliant servers, we quite often think about the power. Uh, you know, if you you tell me big servers, I, I start thinking of your Sabalenkas, your John Isners, uh, your Sam Queries, etc. But I think the thing that strikes me with Barty is she's definitely got power. Uh, especially for someone who, who is five foot five, but it's the placement on her serve is just unreal. You you very rarely see a uh, a ball land that's sort of relatively easy to get. Kerber always having to take one or two steps right or left, or, or quickly having to jump across, even on the second serves, as you say. Which I think I think second serve in tennis is a really underrated skill, and I think in mm. in some respects it's the most important shot. And um, that's yeah. what my coach always used to say to me, anyway. <laughs> uh, though I was a player with not much of a second serve, let's be honest. Um, uh, just bef- quickly before we go on to the last semi, um, Ash Barty came through against uh, compatriot Ila Tomjanovic in the quarterfinal, who was the benefiter of uh, Emma Raducanu's retirement in, in the fourth round. Uh, I know we've moved on a little bit from this, but we didn't really get too much time on the podcast to talk about Emma Raducanu. We... Um, we, we talked about her, her progress um, to the fourth round, but we, we didn't uh, get a chance to, to speak around about the fourth round match against Tomjanovic. But just just give me a, your opinion of, of her whole fortnight. You know, it was fantastic to see the 18-year-old. I think my real take from that third round match was that she uh, just sort of was on court and it just didn't seem to phase her at all. She was so... Um, just in the zone and loving any minute minute of her. That was that was against Castella, uh, the Romanian. Um, and and then it sort of just seemed to be the complete opposite in the fourth round uh, against Tomjanovic. She seemed to just kind of the 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 moment just completely took over took over. And I, I guess the what's happened recently with Osaka uh, kind of all makes us a bit more aware the the amounts of pressure that these young players are under and. Raducanu sat her A-levels a couple of months ago, now playing on, on centre stage at Wimbledon. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what, what were, you, were your main take of, of her week and, and in particular that fourth round? Well, I, I watched her first round match against Vitalia Dyachenko on court 18, which is a funny court because it's, it's a show court, but it's sort of the smallest one. Um, it's got the fewest seats on it. Uh, and that was obviously a conscious decision at the All England Club to put her on that. And it, you can watch it from a balcony where all the TV presenters are. If you've ever watched anyone on BBC News, that's where they stand, just above 18. And I watched the first set from up there. And, I mean, it was a dream draw for Raducanu because Vitaly Dyatchenko had no head. I mean, she she had used up her three challenges in the first set by the end of the second game, was double faulting for fun. So, you know, she had quite a nice draw there. 
But then, as you say, she beat Marquette of Andrew Sober, who's a, a French Open semi, a French Open finalist, I should say. Uh, and then, yeah, owned that Castella match. Um, the next time I saw her was actually the, the Tomjanovic match, which I was courtside for. Um, the first thing to say is that Raducanu, for a couple of years, has been the one that the LTA think is the one. Like they've been saying to us for a while, lots of talent. They always like to sell how much talent there is. But Raducanu was the one they were like, yeah, she, she could really go far. Um, and yeah, so I think it was actually not that much of a surprise when, when she burst through to the fourth round and, and took advantage of a decent draw. And yeah, she really owned it. And actually, I remember watching the, the fourth round match against Tom Janovic and the second point of the match, or at least her second point on serve, she just won her first point on serve and she was just standing at the service line. She just did a big, like, deep breath, a big, you know, a sort of like, okay, we're here now. And I thought that was a very mature thing to do. And you talk to any sports psychologist, they talk a lot about doing that, taking moments and taking breaths in little moments in matches. And I thought that was very mature. And then she started winning points and giving the fist pump to the crowd. And it was electric. I mean, I've not heard a noise in number one court like that before. With the roof shut as well, the noise really reverberates. And, you know, she didn't get on court till 8pm. Everyone was pissed up. It, it, it was... Well, I wasn't, obviously, I was working. But, you know, everyone else was pissed up. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty special noise. And they were right behind her. And, and yeah, who knows, if she'd broken when she had the chance in that first set, it, it might have been a different story. But, yeah, obviously, it's a huge moment. She's only 18. It's, it's you know, she's not the most physical person in the world. She hits the ball hard and she moves pretty well. But there were two points in that 10th game of the first set that were... 20 and 21 shots, I seem to remember. And at the end of both of those, there was a big, heavy breathing. And, you know, people talk about stress like it's a mental thing. It's not. It's a it's a physiological thing as much as it is a mental thing. And I think what you saw was a big physiological and mental reaction to a very stressful physical and mental situation. Tomjanovic knew what she was doing. She knew she was going to put this 18-year-old playing on the biggest stage of her life through the ringer and yeah, it was it was really hard. And it was where the press box is on one, the players sit in a chair with their back to us. So all we could see were her, were her shoulders heaving as the medic came on. And we didn't know if she was crying or breathing heavily. Of course, later it turns out she was hyperventilating, basically. And yeah, it was pretty troubling to see, actually. And, you know, everyone was kind of like, oh, my God, what's, what's going on here? Because you just fear the worst, naturally. Um, she'll come again. Uh, she she's obviously very mature. She's signed up with Maria Sharapova's agent, which as a journalist is bad news because they're difficult to deal with. Um, but it means that she's got lots of big brains around her, lots of people who've been around high-level athletes. And that kind of stuff, you can't really teach that. You can't tell someone how to be a high-level athlete. You can just kind of show them. And, you know, she only hits with men inside the two top 100. Uh, I, know, I know players outside the top 200 who have been offered up as hitting partners from Raducanu and her dad, who is an interesting chap, has basically said, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Um, you're not good enough, which, which frankly is a nonsense. You know, it's completely unnecessary. So yeah, I, I think she's got a huge future ahead of her. I'd be pretty surprised if she's not top 10 one day. You know, it's very hard beyond top 50 to predict that, but I think that's probably the kind of region she's in. She's got a great head on her shoulders. 
Um, and she's got a big game. She hits the ball really cleanly and I think gets her way through matches, which, which is in some ways the hardest thing for young players is to understand how to navigate your way through matches. Anyone can turn up and whack it, but it takes a lot of kind of gamesmanship and, and court craft to, to find your way through those matches. Yeah, I think the thing that really struck me with her, especially in the match with Castella, is um, no matter where a rally was at, however on top Castella looked in the rally, Radicanu was always finding a way to end up winning it. And I noticed uh, Castella actually stopped coming into the net when she was she she had a uh, Radicanu pretty much on on the fence where the nine judges are, and she still wasn't coming into the net because every time she came into the net, Radicanu hit some fantastic passing shot or. Uh, a shot that sort of just creeped over the net and dropped right in front of Castella so that she couldn't get a volley off. And um, yeah, I, I was really, really impressed. And I think, as you say, I'm sure we're going to see a, a lot more of her. And that's really interesting uh, to hear what you said uh, about her dad saying that uh, the, the players outside the top 200 uh, on, on the men's side are not good enough hitting partners. Um, I, I do love that mentality as much as uh, <laughs> it could be described as sort of needless. Um Anyway, that was Emma Adekano. What a tournament. I think that's definitely one of the biggest stories of, of the tournament. Um, it's yeah. always good to see a Brit doing well. And, and you know, of course, we had Andy Murray playing at Wimbledon, which is, of course, you know, the, the great, always the great British story, Andy Murray doing well at Wimbledon. And, and I think he did surprise a few people and I think he had a good tournament. But I, I do think the main British joy from his tournament has to be uh, the youngster, Emma Raducanu. Um Let's just look then at the second semi-final today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, a real serving fest uh, with the, the two giants of uh, Arena Sabalenka and Karolina Pliskova. Uh, Pliskova won. Uh, she lost the first set 7-5, then came back to win sets 2-3, and 6-4, 6-4. Uh, the first set was a weird one. Uh, Pliskova had eight break points, uh, lost them all. And then at 5-6, when serving to stay in the set, Sabalenka broke on her first break point. It was actually a very nervy game from Pliskova, who uh, missed quite an easy forehand volley. She she almost bottled an overhead and, and then double faulted on set point. Uh, she seemed to sort of buckle a little bit in that, in that final game in the first set. But then after that, um, we only saw two break points again uh, in the rest of the match. Uh, and they were the two that Pliskova took. To break Sabalenka, she was uh, formidable on serve. Uh, we've seen her on the grass serving amazingly before. My mind always goes back to the 2019 uh, Eastbourne when she won the title there. I remember watching that final and she just served fantastically. Um, so there's there's no real um, mystery as to why her game suits grass so much. But uh, I, I do think with, with uh, if, if we excuse the second round against Casey Balter, I think uh, Sabalenka was really looking for us to be reckoned with at this tournament. And I, I don't think Sabalenka played badly at all in this match. I, I thought Pliskova just really took her opportunity. Yeah, it's quite hard to kind of nail down why Irina Sabalenka lost that match. I think it's obvious why Karolina Pliskova won it. Uh, I mean, for the record, that, that was a record match. That was the most aces ever served in a women's match at Wimbledon, 32 of them. Smashed the record by seven, I think. So, yeah, I, I didn't love it as a match. Um, I don't, like, as someone who sat through the Anderson Query semifinals, I think I mentioned before, I don't like big serving. Uh, I would happily ban some of these people. 
John Isner basically being the, the chief culprit, even though he wasn't involved in that match. Um, so, yeah, I, it's not always the most entertaining tennis. I love watching Irina Sabalenka. I've almost watched every point she's played at Wimbledon so far. Uh, and I really thought she had it in her. I thought this was a real chance for her to go the distance and at least get to a final. I just think, you know, Pliskova had one of those days where she defended well. She played, incidentally, she should not have won this in three sets. She should have won it in straight sets. That first set was basically Pliskova's career in a nutshell, where she had all the opportunities. She played brilliantly and then made one mistake at the exact wrong time and double faulted. You know, she, she can be so tight. I mean, even... Even the quarterfinal against Victoria Golubic, which, you know, you couldn't... If, if you asked Karolina Pliskova to pick an opponent from the draw to play in the quarterfinal, who she would ideally face, Victoria Golubic would be right up there, quite frankly. And even then, Pliskova did her best when serving for the match to really, really get tight. And there are a couple of very tight moments on, you know, against Sabalenka as well, a couple of overheads that were really horrible and you know, the double fault to lose the set. So she came through it and she is into the final and you can't really argue with that. She's been here before. I mean, frankly, she should have won the US Open. You know, she was serving, maybe serving for the match or at least a breakup in the decisive set when she got to the US Open final. So this is a woman who we should be talking about as a, a Grand Slam winner. I think she's one of only three women who's been world number one and not won a slam. Maybe Jankovic and, uh, oh, I can't remember who the one is off the top of my head. But so, you know, it'd be nice to get that monkey off her back a little bit. Um, as a matchup with Barty, it's very interesting. Uh, she's going to have to, she's kind of not really had to play someone like Barty so far. You know, Samsonova has been playing very well on grass, but isn't really a high level elite player like Barty is. Golubic is unusual. She's got a one-handed backhand and obviously hits the slice well with that. But Sabalenka is kind of the perfect person for her to play because Sabalenka beats herself as often as not and just tries to batter the hell out of the ball. And she did quite effectively and she does often effectively. So the problem really now is how she deals with the skill of Ash Barty. Um, you know, Barty is a good returner. She'll get a lot of balls back. Um, she, she proved that against Kerber. Uh, although Kerber doesn't have such a big serve. So I think it's a really interesting matchup because it is the big server against the crafty kind of tactical genius that is Ash Barty. But I struggle to see Pliskova coming through it just because I, I don't know how much variety she's got to her game. I don't know how much bottle she has, quite frankly. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting point. You know, as I spoke about that, that, that game in the first set, uh, it really did seem nervy from Pliskova from that, uh, volley that she missed the overhead uh, and then the the double fall. Um, Sabalenka didn't really need to win that game to win the first set. It was very mm. much more of a case of Pliskova losing it uh, herself, as you said. And I think when when you look at Pliskova's record, it feels like she's very much one of these nearly players: uh, Australian Open semi-final, French Open semi-final, U.S. Open final, of course, as, as you said, where she lost to. Kerber in three sets. Uh, prior to this tournament, uh, she hadn't been past Wimbledon fourth round, um, which actually really surprises me because I feel like Wimbledon should definitely be a strongest slam with yeah. the game that she has. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise that she's now made a Wimbledon final. I think if she hadn't at least made a semi-final, it would have been a bit of a surprise. Um, 
you know, at 29 years old, of course, she's going to get she's going to get more opportunities. She's a fantastic player, but um, I think there's no. I don't normally make predictions like this, but um, I would quite comfortably say that we'll see Sabalenka as a Wimbledon winner at some point. I think she's got the game to win it. Um, you know, that's uh, there were some games there where. Uh, I remember the commentator was talking about how a coach has told her not to focus so much on the big serve and to focus more on the variety in her game. And I think she served almost four aces in this game. I don't think it was four aces, but four unreturned served. And she turned to her coach and she just sort of gave him this look. Um, of, of, this is why I play like this. Um, it, it was quite a funny moment. Um, but, but with Pliskova um, at 29 years old, with that sort of record at the slams, um, do you think she's going to put sort of extra pressure on herself to, to get this done on Saturday with having come very close to winning slams before and, and possibly being the biggest player on the women's side, in my opinion, not to win a grand slam? Well, that's a, that's a thought. Yeah, she probably is up there, isn't she? I mean, yeah, like I said, Yelena Jankovic maybe is, is the other one. Um, yeah, she's got huge amounts of scar tissue. You know, we talk about that so much in the men's game and we know how hard it is to, to lose slam finals and be in big positions. And, you know, Barty's relatively indestructible mentally. I, I kind of thought that she was more vulnerable mentally and then she just kept doing so many clutch things today. And I was like, nah, nah, I think this girl, she'll be all right. Whereas Pliskova, I mean, some of the people she's lost to at Wimbledon, I was looking at it earlier, you know, people like Misaki Doi when she was, top 20 in the world. Um, she's never been to Wimbledon as world number one, but she's been as world number three a couple of times. And she got knocked out. I remember the year, first year I covered Wimbledon, she lost to Magdalena Roberkova, having been a set and a break up and just threw it away. So yeah, massive amounts of scar tissue. Uh, I guess the only thing she might have in her favour is that she's the underdog. And I think that will help. Um, she's come through the draw relatively comfortably. Not not a huge amount, really. She's dropped one set, that first set, which she shouldn't have dropped. But that's the reminder. Like That's the reminder that Karolina Pliskova needs, needs no one to help her lose. She's perfectly capable of doing it on her own. I don't really have anything to suggest that she has lost some of that. I don't see Ash Barty beating herself. You know, she doesn't really have that that big string of unforced errors. Ash Barty's runs of unforced errors are worth two points. She calls them cheapies, unforced errors. And she says, oh, you can't have that many cheapies. And she's absolutely right. And, and she just every time she gets herself in trouble, and I think it's partly that slice backhand. It's so reliable. It's such a high percentage shot for her that it gets her out of weird runs. And I actually think there was a lot of um, quite unusual down-the-line trading with Kerber, where you had Kerber's left-handed backhand hitting down the line into the Barty slice backhand because she was so scared of the forehand. And I think it'd be interesting to see how Pliskova deals with that because obviously she's right-handed, so it'll be different. Um, but going backhand to backhand cross-court into the Barty slice, no nervy power player likes it when someone's hitting big, deep, heavy slice into their power shots. So I think that's what she has to deal with. Um, Sabalenka doesn't offer a lot of skill in that sense. She doesn't really mix up her pace too much. She pretty much batters it as much as she can. Um, and and really, I think it'll come down to whether Pliskova can cope with that. It's going to be different. It's going to be relatively new. 
Um, I, I don't really know. I, I remember she dropped a set to um, uh, Shea, Sue Shea, the, the Taipei player, who's obviously quite tricky as well. Uh, and she looked uncomfortable with that. And, and I, I worry that Barty might just slice her into pieces. And I, I don't know how she's going to overcome that. Yeah, they've got an interesting head-to-head, the two of them, um, 5-2 to Barty. Um, and actually quite a few of those matches, uh, four in total, going to deciding sets. But every time they've gone to a deciding set, Barty has beaten Pliskova. She's, uh, she's got a... Where were the two, where, where were the, where were the two Pliskova wins? Uh, the two Pliskova wins come from 2016 at Nottingham, both in tie breaks. Yeah. And uh, 2018... At the US Open, six four six four. So both uh, so on big, to... both on quick courts then, because obviously Nottingham yes. being grass and US Open being very fast. Yep. That's yep. in her favour, um, I suppose. But but Barty's not the same player that she was then. Of course, you know Barty's come on a lot since that twenty eighteen uh, defeat to Pliskova. They and they played three times since then, uh, and and Barty winning each of them, uh, and and they come from uh, Miami on the hard court. Um, the WTA finals on the hard court, uh, and then her last win against Pliskova being on clay uh, this year. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, I I would definitely agree with you. Barty is is definitely going into this one as the favourite. I think if Pliskova is going to win, she'll have to rely massively on herself because, as you say, you know, I don't think Barty is going to beat herself. Uh, Barty seems very sort of level-headed against Kerber today. Uh, you saw very little emotion from Ash Barty. Uh, she's she's very in the zone, um, and I personally think she'll get the the job done. We we do tend to like to give a prediction on here, um, Marcus and I. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll say that I think Barty will probably win in straight sets. I reckon. I I do think she's going to have a bit too much for Pliskova. Um, however, if Pliskova can come out and and serve at the top of her game, then I think there's definitely every chance that, that she'll get a set. Um, what, what about you? What, what do you reckon for this final? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, according to my predictions that I did yesterday, I was trying to predict a Sabalenka-Kerber final result. So that shows how much I know. Um, I I really can't see Pliskova getting much more than, you know, nine, ten games. Frankly, I don't, I don't really see her winning a set. I think she has to serve incredibly well. Um, the courts are not that quick this year. Uh, they're relatively slow. It's been quite damp. There's a decent chance it's going to rain and the roof will be shut. And Rogers talked about how actually that that really limited his ability to pick up service winners when when he's played under the roof. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really see any circumstances under which Piscova wins anything significant other than if Ash Barty blows up. And she, she frankly has shown so little time for that. She double faulted the first point of the match today, and I, I kind of turned to the person sat next to me and went, "Oh, here we go. This is a bit tight." And and she just wasn't. She won the first three games eventually. And, you know, I, I just can't, I can't see. I, I backed her from the beginning to win it. Um, I thought Sabalenka was the only big threat really uh, after everyone else had gone out in the first three rounds. Uh, and yeah, I, I just don't see. I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I think it has to be straight sets, and it has to be Barty. Well, I mean, your predictions are already sounding slightly better than mine, actually, is having Barty to win from the beginning. I went for Serena Williams, uh, who, of course, went out uh, very yeah. early on from that, that injury. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much rounds up uh, the women's side of things. Um, two brilliant semi-finals today and a really enticing final to watch on, on Saturday, which, of course, is a huge weekend of sport um, with not just tennis uh, being in focus. Um, James, thank you very much for joining me. I, I wanted to, uh, before we go, just give you three quick fire questions uh, yeah. to end on. Um you know, just give me what, however long of an answer you want. Um, you don't feel you have to fire just something back. You know, you can give some reasoning if you like. Um, what's the men's final going to be? Uh, Novak Djokovic <laughs> uh, yeah. against Matteo Berrettini. Uh, yeah. And it'll be Djokovic in four, I think. Uh, yeah. Djokovic has been stone cold favourite for this tournament for about six months. And I nothing has dissuaded me from that, I'm afraid. I'd love Denis Shapovalov to take him to five. I'd love Matteo Berrettini to take him to five, but it's not going to happen. And frankly, when it comes to Sunday, as long as they get it done quickly, I don't mind really what happens. Yeah, well, interestingly, you kind of preempted my next two questions because my, my next question was going to be, I, I, I forecasted, you would say, Berrettini. My next question was going to be, do we give Berrettini any chance? Uh You've sort of answered. Well, I do. I do. There, I, tell you, uh, I, I, I do give. I do give him some chance. He's the Queen's champion. He's. He's. I mean, I've not seen a guy hit a forehand as big as that for a long time. I mean, I can't really only Federer in his second career. So, like Federer twenty seventeen is really the only guy I've seen hit a forehand that cleanly, that consistently. So, yeah, I give him a chance. I think he'll get a set because I think he will probably hold serve five or six times in a row and go to a tiebreak and nick it. But I just can't see him doing it consistently. It's a big moment. You're playing Djokovic on centre court. Um, he'll probably want to watch the football as well. So he won't want to like, you know, take it out too long. Uh, but yeah, I just, I'd love him to do really well. I think he's a great guy uh, and a good player and Italian tennis deserves a Grand Slam winner because they've got a hell of a lot of good players at the moment, but they're not going to have to wait long. And I'm afraid that this is not the time. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. I hadn't actually thought, uh, of course, Berrettini, being Italian, is, is going to want to get back quite quickly. <laughs> so if he does drop the first couple of sets, uh, he might See you just... See yeah. And it, you know, that, that can be a good excuse for when he gets comfortably beaten. He can, he can blame it on that. Yeah, my last question was going to be, is it coming home, James? Tennis? Yeah, it's coming home. Everardi Khan is going to bring mm -hmm. it in about four years. Um... I think it probably isn't. I hate to say it, but I just think Italy are going to shit houses out of uh, out of the final. Which, yeah, it's. I think it's going to. I'm being as pessimistic as I possibly can to manage my own expectations, but there's a very real possibility that the final is a dreadful game of football and that Italy just just knock us out in really ugly fashion. Yeah, I've, unfortunately, I, I am in agreement, but we, of course, are here to talk about tennis, so let's hope uh, we know nothing about football and we are completely wrong. And, Agreed. Uh, England can win on uh, Sunday. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, Marcus and I will be back tomorrow uh, with a podcast uh, looking at the men's semi-finals and previewing that men's final, and then, of course, we'll be back over the weekend. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.